We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 466 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, December 19th, 2022. Uh, the Commander's season isn't over, okay? Let me say that before I say anything else. The Commander's season isn't over. The playoff push continues. Uh, no, the Commander's season did not end on Sunday night. Uh, you know, we on Sunday night had the start of Hanukkah, but we did not have the end of the Commander's season. We did, though, have a very disappointing loss. The Commanders are not worthy of lighting their menorah, not after what we saw on Sunday night. Off all of the buildup and all of the hype and all of the anticipation, 12 points. That's what the Commanders gave us on Sunday night, 12 points. Points. 12 measly points. You've heard of the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, we on Sunday night had the 12 points of the Commanders. Uh, the Commanders fell to 7 6 and 1 with a 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday night football. Just the second loss for the Commanders since the loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field on October 9th. We are not used to our team losing, but lose our team did on Sunday night. And this was a crucial loss. So the Commanders per 538.com now have just a 35% chance of making the playoffs. Although the Commanders do still hold a playoff spot. Uh, the Giants now are 8-5-1, or the number six team in the NFC, and are in possession of the conference's second wildcard spot. The Commanders are 7-6-1, or the number seven team in the NFC, and are in possession of the conference's third wildcard spot. But now comes a rough turnaround for the Commanders, a game this Saturday, Christmas Eve afternoon, at the 10-4 and and NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers at 405. Hello and welcome to this Commander's Postgame Show Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. There was more bad news on Sunday for the Commander's playoff hopes. I wish I had better news to talk about with you right now, but the Detroit Lions won again. Uh, they improved to 7-7 seven and seven with a 2017 win 
at the New York Jets. Uh, boy, did the J-E-T-S Jets blow that game. Uh, but close behind the commanders in the NFC standings are the 7-7 seven and seven Lions in addition to the 7-7 seven and seven Seattle Seahawks. But yeah, the commanders on Sunday night, 12 points. That was it. Uh, next segment, I'll conduct a deep dive on what the heck happened with the commander's offense on Sunday night, including some wretched officiating for a second time in as many games for the commanders against the Giants this season. Oh, don't worry. I'm not just going to complain about the officiating, but the officiating is part of the story. Wait until you hear what head coach Rod Rivera and quarterback Taylor Heineke said at their post-game press conferences late night on Sunday night. Uh, I will thoroughly assess Taylor's performance uh, and a lot more with the offense, and then I'll talk commander's defense and commander's special teams. In-depth reaction to and analysis of the commander's loss to the Giants. Did you go to the game? What'd you think of the crowd at FedEx Field? Uh, We did have a let's go Giants chant at one point. Uh, I know that. Uh, That was nice. Uh, Also on the show, I'll talk Wizards. Uh, Their season continues to spiral downward. They now have lost 10 consecutive games, two more losses over the weekend. Saturday, a 102-93 loss at the Los Angeles Clippers. Sunday night, a 119-117 loss at the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, not a good weekend for the Wiz at Staples Center. Uh, I'll discuss the Capitals. They're doing well. Five wins in six games. Saturday night, a 5-2 win over the Toronto Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena. Defenseman Eric Gustafson had a hat trick. Uh, Goaltender Charlie Lindgren continued to play well, although the Caps now are dealing with even more injuries. Uh, And I have a college basketball segment for you. I'll hit on Georgetown of a 102-89 loss to Xavier at Capital One Arena on Friday evening. Uh, Number two, Virginia off a 69-61 loss to number five, Houston at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. And number 24, Virginia Tech off a 74-48 blowout of Grambling at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. We are here for each other off a loss like Sunday nights. Lots of feedback on the commanders off the loss to the Giants. Uh, Email from Luke Archer, writes Luke, I hate saying this after games, but the officials were against the commanders. There were multiple calls slash no calls that were just wrong. The two biggest plays that come to mind, the illegal formation on Terry McLaurin and the no call PI on Curtis Samuel on the illegal formation call. The ref told McLaurin that he was good, and yet McLaurin still got flagged. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think wrapping your arms around the receiver and forcing the receiver's arms down is pass interference. What's crazy is that there were more calls slash non-calls throughout the game that were very questionable. It is unfortunate to see the most important Washington game in a while end up being very affected by a few terrible calls. Uh, Thank you, For the email, Luke, a lot more on the officiating next segment. But yeah, with the Terry McLaurin illegal formation penalty, it is really something what, at least according to Terry, he was told by the line judge, Carl Johnson. So receiver Terry McLaurin, in speaking to reporters after the game, quote, I felt like I was on the ball the entire time. I checked to see if I was good the first time, and he was like, move up a little bit. So when I moved up, I checked to see if I was good, and he said I was good 
end quote, and yet Terry ended up getting flagged. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, email from Stanley Evans, Ride Stanley. They reviewed two calls on that last drive. They didn't think to review the PI. Horrible calls the whole game that changed momentum on our side. Officials need to be held accountable because that's completely unacceptable. Email from Sean. I usually refrain from immediate responses after games. I like to let the emotion be removed from the equation. However, this is two games in a row in which the Zebras helped to rip this game away from Washington. Sure, if the offense played better, if the defense didn't allow a 90-70 yard drive, if we weren't determined to put Daniel Jones in the Hall of Fame, there are other factors. However, there were calls in New York, most notably the non-PI call, the official on the other side of the play rules to pick up, and calls and non-calls on Sunday night. I can only ask, are we still under the cap penalty imposed by John Mara, er, the league in 2012. Conspiracy L, the league, or somebody didn't want Washington winning that game. Yeah, man, the officials did not come through for the commanders on Sunday night, but the great Dr. George Verghese will come through for you regarding any dermatological needs. Uh, Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland provide excellent skin care, whatever your dermatological needs may be. Call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big Commanders fan. He is a loyal listener of this podcast and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with allergic reactions, if you are dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you're dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But call 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast if you haven't yet done those things. Uh, they are very much appreciated. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review uh, saying that you like the podcast. And the ratings and the reviews do help us out a lot. So thank you for doing them. There are many reasons for why the Commanders lost on Sunday night, uh, why the Commanders fell 
to 7-6-1 with this 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football. But we can simplify all of those reasons uh, really into one word, offense, as in not enough of it, as in not good enough. The Commanders on Sunday night scored a pathetic 12 points. The Commanders on Sunday night, in their biggest game of the season so far, at home, off a bye, facing a Giants defense that is bad and banged up, scored a mere 12 points. As I record this in the overnight hours of Sunday night into Monday morning, I cannot emphasize enough how disappointing that 12-point output was. The commander's defense again played well. Uh, More on that next segment. But the offense wasn't close to being good enough. There are multiple reasons why. Let's start with not the biggest reason, but a reason and a maddening reason the officiating. For a second time in as many games for the Commanders against the Giants this season, the Commanders got done dirty by the officials. Now, that doesn't mean that the Commanders didn't deserve to lose this game. The Commanders did not play well enough to win this game, but there were multiple, at best questionable, and at worst outrageous non-calls slash bad calls by the officials, uh, as was the case in the Commanders' 20-all tie at the Giants in Week 13. What happened on the Commanders' final offensive snap on Sunday night was a joke. Uh, the Commanders' 10th offensive drive started with the Commanders trailing 20-12 with 1 minute 47 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, the drive started at the Commanders' 43, thanks to an excellent 43-yard kickoff return by running back Antonio Gibson, but the drive resulted in a turnover on downs in the final minute of the fourth quarter, the eighth snap of the drive. On a fourth and goal at the six, quarterback Taylor Heineke had a shotgun incompletion intended for receiver Curtis Samuel in the end zone, where Curtis clearly, and I mean clearly, was the victim of pass interference by corner Darnay Holmes, but inexplicably, incredibly, outrageously, no penalty was called. Now, this is not me being a fanboy and taking a 50-50 scenario and saying, oh my gosh, this was so obvious that the commanders got job. No, if you watch the game, and I know most, if not all of you watched the game, or at the very least have seen this play, uh, Curtis Samuel was interfered with. In fact, so egregious was what Darnay Holmes did to Curtis Samuel that the men calling the game on NBC, Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth, noted how Holmes was guilty of pass interference. Uh, this was Taylor Heineke during his post-game press conference late night on Sunday night on if he felt that Curtis Samuel got interfered with by Darnay Holmes on that commander's final offensive snap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw a picture, and the dude had his arms around his neck before he could catch the ball. So um, who knows? Yeah, look, I hate whining and complaining about officiating, but to not call out that missed call on the commander's final offensive snap on Sunday night is to miss on a really key item 
from this game. Like, you can't appropriately discuss this Commander's game without noting what happened on the Commander's final offensive snap. The Commander's, via this no-call, got screwed. Plain and simple, okay? And wait, there's more. Earlier in the drive, uh, the sixth snap of the drive, on a third and goal at the one, receiver Terry McLaurin committed a five-yard illegal formation penalty that nullified a touchdown, nullified a touchdown run by running back Brian Robinson Jr. Now, look, Terry was guilty of the penalty, but Terry, prior to the snap, was doing as receivers can and will do, and that was asking an official, in this case, the line judge, Carl Johnson, if Terry was lined up properly. Uh, There's an etiquette by which a pass catcher can do this. Uh, Ask an official if the player is lined up properly, and the official will tell the player uh, yes or no, even will tell him uh, to move up toward the line of scrimmage. Uh, Well, Terry seemingly asked, uh, but he either didn't ask clearly enough or loudly enough, or he asked and got no response, or he asked and got the wrong response. Whatever the case, uh, the result was this penalty by Terry McLaurin. Uh, And wait, there's more. Uh, Taylor Heineke had a third quarter, first and 10, 19-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to receiver Jahan Dodson, who then committed a highly questionable and highly debatable 10-yard pass interference penalty that negated a successful two-point conversion shotgun pass by Taylor Heineke to Curtis Samuel. Never mind whether the commander should have gone for two in that spot. They did, and the play worked. The commanders got the two points, but then the conversion was negated by this very questionable and very debatable uh, pass interference penalty on Jahan Dodson, uh, and then kicker Joey Sly missed the ensuing extra point attempt, which was a 43-yard extra point attempt. Uh, And wait, there's more. Curtis Samuel in the first half was the victim of another bad no-call. Commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter punt. Third snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at their 31. Taylor Haneke had a three-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel, who in being tackled by safety Tony Jefferson took helmet-to-helmet contact. I mean, this was a helmet-to-helmet hit, but no penalty was called. Every NFL game features questionable calls slash non-calls. I get that. I think we all get that. I'm sure that there was some stuff on Sunday night that went the commander's way, but these four occurrences that I just highlighted, especially the non-call on the oh-so-clear pass interference by Darnay Holmes on Curtis Samuel in the end zone on the commander's final offensive snap of the game are absolutely part of the conversation about this game. And when you think about the magnitude of this game, which quantifiably was the biggest game so far this regular season, and you say, what do you mean by that, Galdi? Well, I'll tell you what I mean by that. So there are these various playoff probability models that are out there now. This game on Sunday night represented the biggest single game swing in playoff odds for teams this season, Commanders-Giants on Sunday night. This was a really big game from an NFC playoff perspective. We all got that going into this game. 
And so the commander's final offensive snap resulting in an on-call when defensive pass interference should have been called on a pass that was thrown into the end zone in a one-score game, yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, Take a listen to Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference late night on Sunday night. You'll hear Ron, and then you'll hear multiple follow-up exchanges with Commander's insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. I thought we put ourselves in position to score a touchdown, and unfortunately, we didn't get the touchdown. The call on Terry. Terry seemed pretty adamant. He had pointed his hand out to the ref. What, what was the explanation? What did you guys see on the, on the film? Looked like Terry pointed. And that's his hand exactly out. what I thought too. Thank you. And I got to ask about the Curtis one as well. Um, it, it, the fourth down. Uh, yeah. I mean, I again. Yeah. In fact, don't ask me about the refereeing because I can't answer the question. <laughs> yeah. Ron Rivera, Don Ron, late night on Sunday night was furious, and I don't blame him. Uh, Now, I do want to be clear about this. The commanders should not have been in a position by which bad officiating could doom them. And to that end, uh, this also was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference late night on Sunday night. You know, we had our opportunities. We put ourselves down there. You know, that was my answer to Sam. We missed opportunities, and and we can't do that. We talked about that when we we were off last week, that the red zone was something we got to be better at. And we didn't do that. If we had done it, that last series doesn't matter. There you go. Very true. Uh, As for Taylor Heineke, uh, boy, was there a lot to his performance on Sunday night. The bottom line is that our guy, Tay-Tay, had a very mixed game. I did not think during the game that he should be benched for Carson Wentz, uh, who was active and was the commander's number two quarterback for the game. I get that some of you, maybe even many of you, wanted uh, Carson put into the game in place of Taylor. I did not think that that was needed. Uh, Now, look, Taylor did not have a very good first half, but Taylor was a lot better in the second half. And I did think that, once again, the commander's pass protection was a major problem. And I don't think you're going to have fewer sacks with Carson Wentz at quarterback as compared to with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. Uh, the Giants finished the game with three sacks and eight quarterback hits. Uh, Taylor was under duress for so much of the game. Uh, the Commanders got wrecked by edge defender Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, you know, the Commanders' pass protection this season has been such a disappointment. And when I say pass protection, I'm talking about three entities the offensive line, The quarterbacks, as in both Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz when they've played, and the offensive coordinator, Scott Turner. All three entities play roles in the bad pass protection. But too often this season, the commanders have given up way too much in terms of sacks and quarterback hits and pressures. And Sunday night was another instance. The offensive line isn't good enough at pass blocking. The quarterbacks have not been good enough at maneuvering their ways out of pressure, and the offensive coordinator has not been good enough at scheming out of the pressure. You know, way too often we have seen, okay, early in a game, wow, pass protection is a problem in this game, and then pass protection continues to be a problem as the game goes on. You don't see adequate adjustments made. Now, again, Taylor Heineke was better in the second half, 
Uh, the commander's passing offense was better in the second half, but you still saw way too much pressure with which Taylor Heineke had to deal. Uh, the bad from Taylor on Sunday night. Well, look, there's an overall production from the offense that just was not there. As I talked about earlier this segment, the offense was not good enough. Taylor quarterback to Commander's team that scored just 12 points, okay? 12 points. That is an unacceptable total, especially against the Giants defense that isn't good, okay? This is not like some really good Giants defense that the Commanders were facing on Sunday night. No, the Commanders were facing a Giants defense that is not good and that is missing some key pieces, and yet the Commanders totaled just 12 points. Uh, Taylor quarterback to Commanders offense that went just 1-10 of on third downs. The Commanders continue to not be good on third downs. Uh, Taylor had two giveaways. He had two lost fumbles on sack strips, and he nearly threw a game-clinching interception. We had yet another dropped pick for Taylor Heineke in this game. I don't know what kind of juju he's putting on his passes to where passes that should be intercepted continue to not be intercepted. But yeah, I mean, you had two turnovers by Taylor and you nearly had a brutal pick. Uh, Taylor Heineke lost fumble number one happened on the commander's third offensive drive. Third snap of the drive on an early second quarter, second and 18 for the commanders at their 10. Kayvon Thibodeau blew through left tackle Charles Leno Jr., chopped the ball out of Taylor Heineke's right hand as he was in the process of passing. Uh, the result was a sack strip. Uh, Thibodeau recovered the ball at the one and then went into the end zone for the touchdown. Just a brutal moment right there if you're a Commanders fan. Taylor Heineke lost fumble number two. Uh, happened on the Commanders' ninth offensive drive, the fifth snap of the drive on a fourth quarter, third and four for the Commanders at the Giants' five. Taylor had a disastrous fourth quarter loss fumble on a sack strip, on a sack that was split by edge defender Aziz Ojulari and interior defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence, who had the forced fumble. Uh, the sequence started with pressure from interior defensive lineman Leonard Williams, who got pushed on right guard Trey Turner and recovered the fumble. And note, this happened on a play at the Giants' five. A red zone loss fumble for Taylor Heineke. Now, look, again, pass protection encompasses a lot of different things. The blocking on these two plays was not good enough. But if you're Taylor Heineke, you got to find a way to hold on to the football. I know that so much of this isn't on him, but still, Two lost fumbles on sack strips, not good. And then, like I said, he nearly threw a game-clinching interception. That commander's 10th offensive drive, which resulted in the turnover on downs in the final minute of the fourth quarter. The fourth snap of the drive, first and goal for the commanders at the Giants' 10. Taylor Heineke got a bad shotgun snap from center Wes Schweitzer, corralled the ball, then fired the ball into the end zone and was nearly intercepted by corner Nick McLeod who dropped the ball. Again, not Olan Taylor, okay? Bad snap by Wes Schweitzer. But if you're Taylor, you got to say to yourself, okay, let me just throw the ball away. Unless there's something like screaming obvious to you that you should do in terms of like somebody who's wide open, just throw the ball away and live to play another play. Instead, he took a chance would have been a magnificent result had the play resulted in a touchdown, but he threw a ball that should have been intercepted by Nick McLeod, and that would have been a game-sealing interception. Uh, the first sack 
that Taylor took came on a play on which he should have just gotten rid of the ball. Uh, the commander's first offensive drive was the first offensive drive of the game was a 10-play drive that resulted in a first-quarter punt. The 11th snap of the drive on a third and nine for the commander's at the Giants 31, Taylor Heineke did not get rid of the ball, uh, was unable to escape a collapsing pocket, and took a sack from interior defensive lineman Ryder Anderson for a three-yard loss that took the commanders at a field goal range, at least in their own mind. Uh, Ron Rivera elected to punt instead of having kicker Joey Sly attempt a 52-yard field goal. That was disappointing. Uh, the ensuing Tressway punt was a 20-70-yard punt that was returned for 20 three yards by receiver Richie James. So instead of having Joey Sly attempt a 52-yard field goal, he ended up with a net gain of four (laughs) via the 27-yard punt by Tress Way and the 23-yard return by Richie James. Uh, Taylor Heineke also quarterback to commander's offense that committed a delay of game penalty. We had way too many penalties by the commanders on offense on Sunday night. Delay of game penalties usually are on quarterbacks or at the very least can be prevented by quarterbacks by them calling timeouts. But on the commander's second offensive drive, which resulted in the Joey Sly first quarter 41-yard field goal for a 3-0 commander's lead, the ninth snap of the drive, the commanders got called for a third and 12 five-yard delay game penalty. Uh, the good from Taylor Heineke, there was good. And that's why, you know, I said earlier he was mixed on Sunday night. He was. This was not like some trash performance by Taylor Heineke. He had a big second half and, you know, he ultimately finished with good passing numbers. Uh, Taylor in the first half went to 7-13 for just 55 yards, no touchdowns and no interceptions. And he took two sacks, including the sack strip loss fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Taylor in the second half went 10 of 16 for 194 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions, took one sack, uh, and it was that red zone sack strip that resulted in a lost fumble. But Taylor Heineke for the game had a yards per pass attempt of 8.59, which is really good, had a yards per completion of 14.65, which is really good. There were a number of chunk yardage plays for the commander's passing game on Sunday night. It is odd because the overall output from the offense wasn't good enough, but the passing offense actually generated a good number of explosive plays, and the commander's running game was very effective. More on that coming up shortly, but the commander's sixth offensive drive was their first offensive drive of the second half. This was a masterpiece by Taylor Heineke and the commanders. Uh, A six-play, 91-yard drive resulted in the Taylor Heineke third quarter, first and 10, 19-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson. Taylor on the drive, five of five for 81 yards and the touchdown. And Terry McLaurin on this drive was an absolute force. Uh, First snap of the drive, first and 10 for the commanders at their nine. Taylor Heineke, an 18-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Second snap of the drive, Taylor, a first and 10, 13-yard under center play action completion to Terry. Uh, The fifth snap of the drive, first and 15 at the 50. Taylor, a 20-yard Shotgun play action completion to Terry on a screen. Terry on the play generated 22 yards after the catch. Uh, The sixth snap of the drive, the snap right before the touchdown, Taylor had a first and 10, 11-yard under center play action boot completion to Jahan Dodson. 
Uh, the commander's ninth offensive drive, the drive that resulted in Taylor's fourth quarter red zone loss fumble on a sack strip. First snap of the drive. How about this play? First and 10 for the commanders at their nine. Taylor Heineke, a 61-yard offset eye play action bomb to Jahan Dodson, who made a terrific contested and leaping catch in being defended by safety Jason Pinnock. Uh, the commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in the turnover on downs in the final minute of the fourth quarter. But the first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first in 10, 27-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel, who was wide open down the right sideline. Uh, also from Taylor Heineke on Sunday night, he used his legs more. Uh, we on this podcast have been begging for this, and we actually finally got this in this game. Uh, now, it's not like we got this in extreme abundance, but Taylor had three carries for 33 yards. Understand, he came into the game with just 67 rushing yards over seven games in this 2022 regular season, but Tay-Tay on Sunday night, three carries, 33 yards, and these were significant runs. So the commander's Second offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 41-yard field goal, the fourth snap of the drive on a second and eight at the Giants' 48. Taylor Haneke, a nine-yard shotgun read option run. Uh, the commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter 51-yard field goal, the third snap of the drive, the second snap of the fourth quarter on a third and one for the commanders at the Giants' 49. Taylor had a 15-yard under center play-action boot scramble, and on that commander's 10th offensive drive, uh, which resulted in the turnover on downs in the final minute of the fourth quarter, the fifth snap of the drive on a second and goal at the 10, Taylor had a nine-yard shotgun scramble. So his three runs were for nine, 15, and nine yards. Uh, he did make a bad decision on a read option play. This happened on that drive that resulted in the Joey Sly first quarter 41-yard field goal. The seventh snap of the drive, Taylor, uh, I thought, made a bad read on a read option play. He handed the ball off to Brian Robinson Jr. on what ended up being a first and 10 shotgun read option run for a two-yard loss uh, by Robinson. But it was good to see Taylor run the ball some, and it was good to see the commander's running game overall be good. Uh, the Giants' run defense this season has not been good. Uh, the Giants for the 2022 regular season through week 14 were next to last in the NFL in run defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. The commanders on Sunday night on design runs, 24 carries for 135 yards, 5.63 yards per carry. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. looked excellent. Once again, 12 carries for 89 yards, 7.42 yards per carry. Uh, he did have a fumble, but the ball went out of bounds. He had one reception for 18 yards on one target. So Brian Robinson Jr. on Sunday night on 13 touches totaled 107 yards. I mean, to me, a legitimate question to explore is Brian Robinson Jr. averaged more than seven yards per carry. Why did he only have 12 carries? You know? And and what's really impressive about the 7.42 yards per carry is that Robinson did have some negative yardage runs slash runs for no gain, and yet he still averaged 7.42 yards per carry. Uh, Antonio Gibson on Sunday night uh, was impactful. Five carries, 21 yards, two receptions for six yards on four targets. He did have a fumble. Uh, the Commanders finished this game with four official fumbles. Uh, Gibson had a fumble that he recovered on a second and 10 under center handoff run for a one-yard loss. Uh, this came 
in the fourth quarter. That was Gibson's first fumble of the 2022 regular season. So for all of the talk about Antonio Gibson's fumbling problem, and he last season certainly had a fumbling problem, Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number one among all running backs in the NFL and most fumbles at six. He, in this 2022 regular season, ended up not fumbling at all until week 15. Uh, But yeah, not enough offense overall from the Commanders. You know, the Commanders did move the football on Sunday night. And like I said, Taylor Heineke did finish with good passing numbers. The Commanders did run the ball effectively. Uh, the Commanders for the game had 387 total net yards of offense on 58 total offensive plays. That works out to 6.7 yards per play. That's actually a very good yards per play. But the Commanders in this game, just one for 10 on third downs, just one for three in the red zone, and just 12 points. The Commanders this season, for a variety of reasons, do not score many points, and Sunday night was the latest instance of that. Not enough points, plain and simple. And yes, the officiating uh, in each of the Commanders' last two games has not helped. If only we could take legal action against the NFL for its officiating, perhaps we should contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202 202- 902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. Uh, If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. The Commanders, despite the loss on Sunday night, do remain in the heat of a playoff race. Uh, No podcast or show covers the Commanders like this podcast does. And so now is a great time to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast. If you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode and make use of the power of the pod, uh, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast 
at yahoo.com. The commander's defense in the 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football was good. Uh, The defense played well enough to win, especially Considering the absences, uh, corner Benjamin St. Juice was inactive for a third consecutive game due to his right ankle injury that he suffered in the win at the Houston Texans in Week 11. You know, him being inactive was disappointing. The initial word on this injury was that it wasn't that big of a deal, and yet the injury clearly has been uh, at least somewhat of a big deal because the guy now has missed each of the team's last three games and included in that mix was a bye week. So really, he's been out for four weeks Uh, But geez, third consecutive game, Commanders are without arguably their best corner this season. Uh, Still no Chase Young. I am not going to spend a lot of time on his situation on this installment of the podcast. But edge defender Chase Young was inactive for a third consecutive game due to his right knee. As yes, we still are waiting on him to make his 2022 season debut off the torn right knee that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on November 14th, 2021. And still on the reserve injured list are the commander's number one linebacker, Cole Holcomb, and the guy who was supposed to be the team's number three interior defensive lineman, Fedarian Mathis. But the commanders on Sunday night overall did a good job against the Giants offense. The commanders held the Giants offense to just 13 true points because the Giants' other seven points came via edge defender Kayvon Thibodeau's first quarter one-yard fumble return for a touchdown off his sack strip of Taylor Heineke. Uh, The Commanders on Sunday night held the Giants to just a two of 10 on third downs. That's excellent. Held the Giants to just 4.65 yards per play. That's really good. Uh, The Commanders on Sunday night held Giants quarterback Daniel Jones to just 160 yards over 32 pass attempts. Uh, That works out to a yards per pass attempt of exactly five. That is a terrible yards per pass attempt for a quarterback. And Jones had 10 carries for 35 yards. He did not run wild, as had been the case in previous games against Washington. The Knits to pick with the commander's defense on Sunday night. Uh, No takeaways and no sacks. So the defense did not make plays. Uh, That's a fair criticism. Uh, Also, the commanders did a good job on Giants running back Saquon Barkley until late in the game. Saquon finished with 18 carries for 87 yards and a touchdown, but 41 of the 87 yards, nearly half of Saquon's rushing yards on Sunday night came over just three consecutive carries in the fourth quarter of the Giants' ninth offensive drive resulted in former Redskins kicker Graham Gano's 50-yard field goal with one minute 55 seconds left in the fourth quarter to give the Giants a 2012 lead. The first three snaps of the drive were double-digit yardage runs by Saquon Barkley that totaled 41 yards. Uh, It was disappointing to see the commanders get run on like that in a crucial spot, but you take a step back, Saquon on Sunday night had those three carries for 41 yards. His other 15 carries went for a total of 46 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Also, the commanders gave up a big fourth down conversion by the Giants. Uh, The Giants' third offensive drive was a mammoth 18-play 97-yard drive that consumed 8 minutes, 35 seconds off the clock, uh, resulted in that Saquon touchdown run, a late second quarter, second and goal, three-yard shotgun run on a direct snap. The 16th snap 
of the drive in the snap right before the first half two-minute warning on a fourth and nine for the Giants at the Commanders' 35. The Commanders gave up an 11-yard shotgun completion by Daniel Jones to receiver Richie James. Uh, That was a killer play, and again, I emphasize fourth and nine. This was not fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three. This was fourth and nine, and yet the Commanders gave up the first down. But still, overall, the Commanders' defense played well. I don't want to hear a bunch of criticism about the Commanders' defense, okay? The Commanders' defense played well enough to win again. The Commanders' offense was the team's principal problem in this loss. Uh, As for Commander Special Teams on Sunday night, uh, there was some good, there was some not so good. Uh, Kicker Joey Sly, so he went 2-2 on field goals. That was good. Uh, Sly connected on a 41-yard field goal for a 3-0 Commander's lead and connected on a fourth quarter 51-yard field goal to cut the Commander's deficit to 17-12. So two nice makes, especially the 51-yarder. But Joey Sly missed his lone extra point attempt. Now, in fairness to Joey, uh, the extra point attempt was a 43-yard extra point attempt. Uh, This is the extra point attempt that followed uh, quarterback Taylor Heineke's third quarter, first and 10, 19-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to receiver Jahan Dodson. Remember what happened after that. Jahan committed a 10-yard pass interference penalty that was questionable and debatable, but the penalty was called, and the penalty negated a successful two-point conversion shotgun pass by Taylor to receiver Curtis Samuel. The commanders then elected to go for the extra point, but Joey Sly missed on the attempt, and the attempt was, you know, a longer-than-normal extra point attempt, but still, a 43-yard kick is something that your kicker should make. Joey did not make that, and that miss loomed large with the commanders in the fourth quarter trailing by eight points at 2012. Uh, You know, Joey Sly in this 2022 regular season now is 19 of 22 on extra points. Uh, He has three missed extra point attempts. He also has three missed field goal attempts. He's 22 of 25 on field goals, 19 of 22 on extra points, 22 of 25 on field goals. He has as many missed extra point attempts as he has field goal attempts. Uh, Punter Tressway, he on Sunday night over four punts, averaged 44.3 yards per punt and 36.3 net yards per punt. Uh, We had what went down in the first quarter. uh, Tress with a first quarter 27-yard punt that was returned for 23 yards by receiver Richie James. That was really bad. But Tress had a second quarter 37-yard punt that was downed at the Giants 3 by linebacker Kalik Hudson. And Tress had a late third quarter 65-yard punt that was downed at the Giants 1 by safety Percy Butler. So excellent work in those two circumstances. Uh, Receiver Dax Milne was back. Uh, He returned from a two-game absence caused by a foot injury and was back to being the commander's primary punt returner. He had just one punt return the entire game, and the return nearly resulted in disaster. Uh, Dax, on the next-to-last snap of the third quarter, nearly had a fumble on a four-yard punt return. Thankfully, his right knee was down as he essentially got bent over backwards. Uh, that looked quite painful, what happened to Dax uh, on that punt return. But, you know, the commanders on Sunday night had four official fumbles, nearly had five with what happened with Dax Milne. 
And then running back Antonio Gibson on Sunday night was again the commander's primary kickoff returner. And I want to give him credit. Three kickoff returns. He averaged 31 yards per return. Included in that mix, an outstanding four-quarter, 43-yard kickoff return. That was a terrific return by Gibson in a big spot. Uh, But the ensuing commander's offensive drive resulted in a turnover on downs in the final minute of the fourth quarter. Up next, we begin unpacking the non-commander's items from our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Wizards and the Capitals, uh, two teams going in very opposite directions right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, things did not go well for the Commanders on Sunday night, and uh, things are not going well for the Wizards right now. Uh, They are in the midst of a season-long six-game road trip with all of the games happening out west, and the Wizards now have lost 10 consecutive games and have lost 13 of 14 games. Uh, The Wizards are 1-13 and since their 10-7 and start. They are 11-20 and overall. The Wizards' season quickly has devolved into a mess of a season. Uh, Saturday, a 102-93 loss at the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, The Wizards blew a 15-point second quarter lead. They lost the second half 52-36. And Sunday night, uh, while most of us were watching the Commanders lose to the New York Giants at FedEx Field, the Wizards lost at the Los Angeles Lakers 119-117. The Wizards overcame a 14-point Halftime deficit, but gave up a tie-breaking dunk by ex-wizard Thomas Bryant, of all people, with 7.4 seconds left in the fourth quarter on a broken play, on a garbage play. Uh, This is how things are going for the Wizards right now. Uh, You know, the Wizards are banged up, that is true. Uh, Rui Hachimura now has missed 
15 consecutive games due to right ankle soreness. Uh, DeLon Wright remains out with his grade two right hamstring strain that he suffered in a 120-99 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena on October 25th. Uh, Chris Dapps Porzingis in the loss at the Clippers on Saturday returned from a one-game absence caused by lower back tightness. And Bradley Beal uh, just came back from a six-game absence. He made his return on Sunday night. He had been out with a right hamstring strain that he suffered in the Wizards' previous game against the Lakers, a 130-119 loss to the Lakers at Capital One Arena on December 4th. Beal on Sunday night was good. Uh, 31 minutes, 39 seconds as a starter. He went 0-3 on threes, but 9-14 on twos and 11-13 on free throws. Finished with 29 points and three assists versus three turnovers. So yes, it is true that the Wizards had been banged up, uh, maybe finally are getting some pieces back. But you know what? I mean, you look at the specifics of who the Wizards played over the weekend. I mean, the Clippers were without Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, and Ivica Zubats due to injury. Uh, the Lakers were without Anthony Davis due to right foot soreness. And remember what happened the last time that the Wizards faced Anthony Davis. Uh, he and that 130-119 loss to the Lakers at Capital One Arena on December 4th destroyed the Wizards. Uh, Davis in that game had 55 points 17 rebounds and three blocks. Uh, there's a lot to what's going on with the Wizards here. I mean, the three-point shooting remains woefully inconsistent. The Wizards on Sunday night, just 10 of 39 on threes. Uh, the Wizards' defense remains woefully inconsistent. The Wizards on Sunday night allow the Lakers to go 11 of 27 on threes and to score 66 points in the paint. Uh, LeBron James for the Lakers on Sunday night, 36 minutes, 33 seconds as a starter. Went just one of four on threes and just six of eight on free throws. But he also went 12 of 20 on twos. He finished with 33 points, nine assists versus no turnovers and seven rebounds. Uh, the Wizards are not a good team right now. And, you know, even with some guys coming back, it still feels like this isn't a very good team. And I think that's as concerning as anything. It's not like, okay, Beal is back, Porzingis is back, now the Wizards can take off and fly. It's more like, okay, Beal is back, Porzingis is back. Maybe things aren't as bad as they had been, but things aren't just going to be getting great magically, uh, at least not with the way that things are right now. Uh, next up for the Wizards, at the Phoenix Suns, Tuesday night at 9. Well, the Capitals have a game on Monday night, uh, home to the Detroit Red Wings at 7. The Caps had one game over the weekend. It was a game in which a Caps player did have a hat trick, uh, but no, that Caps player was not winger Alex Ovechkin. Uh, the Caps player was defenseman Eric Gustafson, of all people. Uh, the Caps won for a sixth time in seven games, improved to 16-13-4 with a 5-2 win over the Toronto Maple Leafs at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. And yes, defenseman Eric Gustafson had a hat trick. Uh, understand, Gustafson came into the game with zero goals in the 2022-2023 regular season, and yet he had three goals on Saturday night. Uh, Gustafson became just the third Camps defenseman ever to have a hat trick in a regular season game. He joined Kevin Hatcher, who recorded his hat trick on January 13th. 1993, and Sergei Gonchar, who recorded his hat trick on January 4th, 
2000. So Gustafson on Saturday night did something that <laughs> that had not been done in nearly 23 years, and uh, he had a game-high tying five shots on goal. Uh, the Caps this past July 13th, what was day one of NHL free agency, announced having signed Gustafson as an unrestricted free agent. He got a one-year $800,000 contract. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on Eric Gustafson. The offensive output has been there. It's nice to see the goals go in. Um, but he's been, I think he's been really good offensively all year. He's been strong defensively for us. He's been just a really good addition to our club. And um, it's nice to see him get rewarded and have a big night like that. All right. As for Alex Ovechkin, uh, he on Saturday night went pointless. Uh, he had just two shots on goal and just four total shot attempts, although he did have a game-high tying six hits. Uh, now, also for the Caps on Saturday were more injuries. Uh, the injury-ravaged Caps got even more injury-ravaged. Uh, winger TJ Oshie suffered an upper body injury, so he may well be out again due to injury. Boy, Oshie just cannot stay healthy. Uh, also, center Nick Dowd on Saturday night did not play due to a lower body injury, and the Caps were down another goaltender. Uh, so goaltender Darcy Kemper remains out due to an upper body injury that he suffered in a 5-2 loss at the Calgary Flames on December 3rd. And the Caps for Saturday night were without backup goaltender Hunter Shepard. Uh, he was unavailable for the game due to an upper body injury. And so the Caps on Saturday recalled goaltender Zach Fucali from AHL affiliate Hershey. This is unbelievable what the Caps are going through this season in terms of injury. Uh, remaining out for the Caps on Saturday night, in addition to Kemper, were forwards Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, Connor Brown, Carl Haglin, and Beck Malenstein, and defenseman Martin Ferrari and Alexander Alexiev. Uh, winger Sonny Milano was back on Saturday night. He returned from a one-game absence caused by a non-COVID illness, and he was impactful. Three assists, finished number two on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 60. The Caps with Milano on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 12 shot attempts versus allowing eight shot attempts. And with Darcy Kemper out, Charlie Lindgren continued to shine. How about the run that uh, old Chucky Lindgren is on? This guy has been so good. Uh, Charlie Lindgren on Saturday night was the cap starting goaltender for a seventh consecutive game. He stopped 34 of the 36 shots on goal that he faced. Lindgren now, over his seven-game run as a cap starting goaltender, has a goals against average of 187 and a save percentage of 938. Uh, by the way, the Maple Leafs starting goaltender on Saturday night was ex-cap Ilya Samsonov. Uh, he stopped just 23 of the 28 shots on goal that he faced. You know, the Caps won this game by a 5-2 score, despite per natural stat trick having just 41 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Maple Leafs 63 and just 28 shots on goal to the Maple Leafs 36. The Caps did not win the puck possession battle, but did win the game, and goaltending was a big part of that. Uh, this was Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on Charlie Lindgren. And we couldn't ask for anything more from him. He's been um, he's been rock solid. He's you know, and sometimes that's especially with us with the adversity we face this year. I think guys wait for an opportunity to get in there, and um, you know, Darcy was getting the majority of the starts and. 
Charlie was working hard every day, waiting, waiting, and um, you know it's might be a little bit easier for him too when he gets a rhythm as opposed to playing one every five games, one every four games. He's going in there every night. Maybe it's easier for him to establish that rhythm um, in the crease. But there's no question that his um, he's a, he's got a big hand and us you know starting to climb here. Yeah, and the Caps are climbing the NHL standings. Uh, the Caps now are just one point behind the New York Islanders for the Eastern Conference's second and final wildcard spot. And let's talk some college basketball. We, over the weekend, had the Big East opener for Georgetown, the biggest non-conference home game in Virginia men's basketball history and another impressive showing by Virginia Tech. Uh, we begin with the Hoyas, uh, another loss for them. Uh, Georgetown fell to 5-7 and seven overall and 0-1 in the Big East with a 102-89 loss to Xavier at Capital One Arena on Friday evening. The Hoyas trailed for the entire second half. Now, the game was close. Uh, the Hoyas trailed by just four points at 77-73 with eight and a half minutes left in the second half, but that allowed Xavier to go on a 17-6 run for a 15-point lead at 94-79. Uh, three things at which Georgetown was especially bad in this game. Defense, three-point shooting, and free-throw shooting. And uh, <laughs> those are three important things. Uh, the Hoyas' defense was horrible. The Hoyas allowed Xavier to score 102 points, including 50 points in the paint. The Hoyas allowed Xavier to go 14 of 26 on threes and 27 of 42 on twos and finished with 27 assists versus 11 turnovers, and the Hoyas struggled big time on threes and free throws. So the Hoyas went just 6 of 17 on threes. Uh, Georgetown now this season is shooting just 32.9% on threes, and the Hoyas went just 19 of 32 on free throws. The Hoyas did a good job of generating free throw attempts, but did not do a good job of making free throws. And, you know, you think about this, the Hoyas, in a game that they lost by 13 points, whiffed on 13 points via free throws. Again, 19 of 32. Uh, Xavier, by the way, went to 6 of 12 on free throws. Uh, Duquesne transfer Primo Spears led the Hoyas with 22 points. He in 35 minutes as a starter, went 2 of 3 on threes, but just 6 of 13 on twos and just 4 of 6 on free throws. And he had one assist versus three turnovers. He did have two steals. Uh, LSU transfer Brandon Murray, uh, he in 36 minutes as a starter, went 0 of 3 on threes and just 5 of 9 on free throws. But he also went 5 of 9 on twos, finished with 15 points, six assists versus one turnover, three rebounds, and two steals. Now, Earlier in the day on Friday, we did learn of terrible news for Georgetown basketball. Hoyas assistant coach Louis Orr has died at the age of 64. Uh, Orr had been an assistant on head coach Patrick Ewing's Hoyas staff since Patrick's first season as Hoyas head coach. Orr was an assistant coach for Georgetown over Patrick's first five seasons as its head coach. Uh, made the transition to the position of a special assistant to the head coach. For this season, Louis Orr played for Syracuse uh, from 1976 to 1980. He was a teammate of Patrick on the New York Knicks from 1985 to 1988. And Orr was Seton Hall's head coach from 2001 to 2006. He was the Big East Coach of the Year for the 2002-2003 season, becoming the first person in men's basketball to make an all-Big East team as a player and win Big East Coach of the Year. Uh, or made the All-Big East first team for the 
1980 season. Uh, Louis Orr had quite the basketball life, so rest in peace, Louis Orr. Next up for the Hoyas at number three, UConn, Tuesday evening at 6.30. So a big game against the top five team is coming up for Georgetown, Virginia on Saturday afternoon uh, as a top five team faced another top five team, and the Cavaliers did lose. Uh, number two, Virginia fell to eight and one overall with a 69-61 loss to number five, Houston at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. This game marked Virginia hosting its highest ranked non-conference opponent in program history. So you very much can make the case that this was the biggest non-conference game in Virginia men's basketball history. Uh, the Cavs trailed for the entire second half, began the game on a 9-0 run, but that allowed Houston to go on a 43-23 run for an 11-point lead at 43-32. The Wahoos were not great defensively. They weren't awful defensively, but the Hoos allowed Houston to go 8-21 on threes and 17-30 on twos and to finish with 17 assists versus eight turnovers. Uh, Virginia head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon made it clear that he thought that Virginia's struggles on offense carried over to the team's defense. You know, Houston is an excellent defensive team. The Cougars through games on Saturday were number two in Division One in KenPalm.com's adjusted defensive efficiency for this season. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponent. You know, Virginia on Saturday afternoon wasn't terrible offensively, but uh, the Hoos were not good enough. Uh, UVA went just 6-22 on three, scored just 26 points in the first half. Uh, here was Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on the Houston Cougars defense. I think they're physically tough uh, and mentally tough. We talk a lot about the, you know, in games like this and really at this level, um, that's just the entry level playing hard with your heart, trying to be physical. But the separator is, are you willing to be as, as you know, rock solid mentally and refuse to to have breakdowns um you know we got some open looks missed some shots but they're they're gonna they're gonna make you work you're gonna have to take care of the ball they're gonna be in front of you they're they're physical young men and they made some plays um but again you can see why defensively uh, they're tough I, I thought early on the emotion perhaps defensively we were right we were guarding and where it cost us on the converse was um i i can live with missed shots you know you say all that but like where we had some breakdowns defensively. You know, just any time a good team, you break down, they made us pay. Whether it was just a, we fell asleep, we we helped up, we didn't help a guy out in the coverage we were supposed to help. And that's where you gotta be willing to go there to win a game like this, be so mentally sound on the defensive end. And that was the part where I, where I think we can learn from and grow from, but uh, um, that's what makes Houston, you know, tough-minded defensively. When they struggle to score, they can still do it. Now, today, they obviously, um, took advantage of our breakdowns and scored and, and the young man Walker you know as a freshman or a first year some of the timely shots he made and the different kinds of shots and then with their their physical tough guard play um, you can see why they're they've had such a good year so far yes you can uh, Reese Beekman did play for the Cavs on Saturday afternoon he played for 33 minutes 33 seconds as a starter off having suffered a right hamstring injury in the Cavs previous game which was all the way back on December 6th a 55-50 win over James Madison at John Paul Jones Arena uh, Beekman in this loss to Houston one of three on threes oh at two on twos one of two on free throws he finished with four points 
three rebounds and five assists versus three turnovers. Caden Shedrick in 28 minutes, 49 seconds as a starter, seven of eight from the field, all twos and two of two on free throws. He finished with 16 points, three rebounds and a team best plus minus rating of plus four. Jaden Gardner in 33 minutes, 17 seconds as a starter, four of eight from the field, all twos, five of six on free throws. He finished with 13 points and six rebounds. And point guard Kihei Clark had a mixed game, 35 minutes, 18 seconds as a starter. He went just one of five on threes and just one of three on twos, but he went four of four on free throws, finished with nine points and eight assists versus two turnovers. Next up for Virginia at number 25, Miami, Tuesday night at 8.30. Uh, number 24, Virginia Tech continues to roll. The Hokies improved to 11-1 overall with a 74-48 blowout of Grambling at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday. You know, the Hokies actually trailed by 10 points at 23-13 with less than nine minutes left in the first half, but the Hokies then won the rest of the game 61-25. Good game for point guard Sean Padula. He in 33 minutes as a starter, went four of eight on threes, did go just one of four on twos, and just seven of nine on free throws. But he finished with 21 points, six assists versus three turnovers, five rebounds, and two steals. Padula for the season leads the Hokies in points per game at 17.3, shooting 38.1% on threes. Next up for Tech at Boston College, Wednesday evening at 6.30. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 467. We'll have a lot more on the commanders of them falling to 7, 6, and 1 with this 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football. We on Monday expect to have the day after the game press conference of head coach Rod Rivera. Also on Tuesday's show, we'll talk Capitals. Uh, they are home to the Detroit Red Wings Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and they'll talk to you on Tuesday. The call on Terry. Terry seemed pretty adamant he had pointed his hand out to the ref. What, what was the explanation? What did you guys see on the, on the film? Looked like Terry pointed That's his hand That's exactly out. what I thought, too. Thank you. And I got to ask about the Curtis one as well. Um, the fourth down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I again, in fact, don't ask me about the refereeing because I can't answer the question. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com